They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. And we're back for an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Met Gala survivor Louis Fertel. Woof. Another year. <laughs> Another year of the Met Gala. And also, this is our third Ira and Louis variety hour. Oh, yes. Which is never an hour. Yeah, No, it goes long, you'll notice. I would normally prepare some choreography for you girls. As you know, uh, we're like Ann Miller and Debbie Reynolds up in here. But... <laughs> Um, and speaking of the Met Gala, you know who was not there? Nicki Minaj. And before we even talk about the Met Gala, it was a hard night to be a Barb. Woof. Among the hardest. Among the hardest. (laughs) We have been through the wire this past year, from the marriage uh, to all sorts of other things. But um, this vaccination tweet... Girl. Pair of tweets, yes. <laughs> Multiple tweets um, that led to fighting with Megan McCain. <laughs> oh, my God. That was actually the good part. But, like, let's just break down tweet for tweet. So she first said, I can't go to the Met Gala because they require a vaccination already. Yes. I'm cringing. And then... If I get vaccinated, it won't be for the Met Gala. It'll be once I've done enough research. Ma'am... You've had over a year. Also, anybody who says do your research on the internet, I can never picture reading an entire article. So stop pretending like, <laughs> stop pretending you're somebody who comes to conclusions after you get to the end of an AP or Reuters article. Yeah. It reminded me of my favorite Gina Rodriguez tweet. Oh, Mama Less Research? I remember that one. <laughs> uh, have you tried looking up the Hispanic Scholarship Fund? There are plenty of places to help. Come on, Mama, let's research. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Nikki's research is a Twitter poll. <laughs> <laughs> Pathetic. Barbs, what do you like? Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> It's like, spin the wheel and tell me which vaccine to get. I mean, that is an actual disease, thinking that somehow you can jump into your mentions and come up with scientific accuracy. But Nikki's mentions are usually like someone saying that, like, I'm sorry my grandma died last week, um, but stream beat me up, Scotty. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. Well, by the way, we have to get to the second half of the tweet where she then said, Literally, her Trinidadian cousin's friends' balls blew up, and she believes it is because of the vaccine. And then the end of the tweet was like, and his girl broke up with him. (laughs) That's why you wouldn't get a vaccine? So, so like, girls will like you? It was so... I expect crazy behavior from celebrities, but it was so unusually through a particular rabbit hole and around a corner crazy that I am extremely disappointed. But I will say... As a Madonna fan, and I'm so used to being horrified by what my queen does all the time. So, Barb's, I just want you to know you're in my thoughts because I live that life. 
my other favorite thing about whenever a celebrity does something like this, it always lends to right-wing people contorting themselves to all of a sudden love this person. Oh, God. Because, of course, Tucker Carlson is reading Nikki's tweets on air, and he's like, that seems pretty fair to me. <laughs> does it? <laughs> You slappy doll. Does, does it seem fair to you? There is a screenshot of Tucker Carlson with the Chiron beneath Nicki Minaj. Cousin's testicles became swollen. Is this the career you wanted? Oh, good Lord. He's like a Macy's float of a six-year-old is what he looks like. <laughs> Down to the boat. A Macy's float of a rich six-year-old. Anyway. I, I just don't even know. what. First of all, she did it right as the Met Gala was starting. So I was trying to be all amped for the proceedings. Meanwhile, I'm thinking of the testicular situation in Trinidad right now, which is apparently <laughs> <laughs> off, off the wall. The, the other thing that was beautiful about this tweet was that it's a thing that I'd been talking about with our mutual friend, Chris Schleicher, about how how many celebrities were not at the Met Gala because of the vaccination requirement. She's like the only one who tweeted about it, and but now it, I feel like the general public now is like, okay, does someone I love not there because they weren't vaccinated? Dua Lipa wasn't there. Oh, Dua Lipa wasn't there. Okay, that is important. Her, I mean, her and Anwar Hadid, her famous anti-vax right. boyfriend. No, I mean, in that case, something is afoot there. But at the same time, I feel like anti-vax celebrities are also aggressive enough in a way where they would fake their vaccination, too. Mm. So I feel like people might have still shown up who, you know, didn't get vaccinated. But, uh, man, I, I have to say, in the past couple of months, you, I've become acquainted with, you can be, uh, it's almost like actors go, are so far left that they then go all the way around and then they become crazy about the vaccine. And the vaccine in particular seems like a portal into another dimension for celebrities. This Laura Osnes situation on Broadway, it's like, what? I mean... So I guess you just suck. All right, great. I loved when that happened because as a person who grew up in musical theater and loves musicals uh, and loves Broadway, I still don't know like the names of people who aren't on the marquee right. for most, mm -hmm. um, most Broadway theater actors unless I personally know them too uh, or I've just seen a show they were in. So, you know, when people are talking about Laura Osnes, I'm like, who is this white woman? <laughs> Go get a vaccine, sis. Right. If were you like Anna and the King and I, we could find another one of those. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Anyway, we're gonna talk about the Met Gala some more. Sure. We're gonna talk about the VMAs. Can't wait. Uh, we will be right back with more Keep It. All right, on Sunday, 40-year-old MTV threw another VMAs, and they look pretty good for their age. I will agree with that, tentatively. It was a good VMAs, right. to be honest. Uh, in terms of what we got before that creepy Ayn Rand surreal VMAs during the pandemic was scary. Yes, that's true. No, it felt like the reboot of Total Recall, the bad 2012 one with Colin Farrell and Kate Beckinsale. No offense to both of those fine actors. <laughs> but this one, hosted by Doja Cat, who is very fun. Full of personality, sometimes to her detriment, but I think she's, I think she's doing well. <laughs> 
Royce, who has famously been on this show before, um, my best friend, has um, described Doja as a person who is a person who is um, more talented than she is smart. It's possible. Um, but she thinks she's very smart. Which will get her into trouble historically, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, chatting in racist chat rooms, for instance. <laughs> that was so weird, yeah. But she's so incredibly talented. It was nice to see them hosted by, you know, like an actual celebrity who's relevant. The show started out like a classic VMAs. You've got Machine Gun Kelly fighting Conor McGregor on the red carpet. Okay, so I saw the footage of this, Conor in his pink suit. And also, <laughs> you, I have to let you know, he was on my mind recently because I did a bit for Kimmel where I, uh, Niall Horan was the guest host. Mm. And so I, had, I asked people on the street what they knew about Ireland. And of course, can you believe it? Hollywood Boulevard pedestrians don't know anything about Ireland, except... Almost 75% of the people said, well, that's where Connor is from. And they didn't even fucking say his last name, like he's Jesus Christ. Anyway. There's a lot of Connors in Ireland. I know. I'm willing to <laughs> yeah, narrow it down, please. Connor McGregor is this huge celebrity in this other neck of the woods that I have, has nothing to do with me. But I saw him throw a drink at Machine Gun Kelly, who I just have to say, his appearance is always a little infuriating. I kind of get throwing a drink. I'm just, I'm, don't be violent towards Machine Gun Kelly, but I, what were they fighting about? Did we find out? I have no idea. The, I mean, the best part of this fight was um, Troy Zavon describing it to someone on the carpet <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Giving you the messy game we need at an award show, being like, I mean, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a scuffle <laughs> on the carpet. <laughs> He seems dependable in that way. Because I trust uh, Troy Sivan because he's done interviews where he's just so into music, like favorite pop. Not just like, I love all the pop girls, but here's the weird song by the pop girl I love. Mm. And we need more of that in celebrity, people who know shit. But I have no idea why the fight happened. And apparently, like, the internet says that, like, uh, Machine Gun Kelly was recently at a Conor McGregor fight, so... You don't fucking say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about Machine Gun Kelly would make you think that he would attend a Conor McGregor fight? Oh, God. <laughs> he, also, it's like I, I historically love Megan Fox, and I feel like when I watch them together, I'm learning she's, I don't know, not great or something. There's something about their chemistry that feels very Billy Bob and Angelina in a bad way. Mm. You know what? I'm kind of here for their relationship. Um, it's helpful to know they're both Geminis. Uh, which means nothing to you, uh, but but, <laughs> but uh, she seems happy, and I love it. It is very Angelina, Billy Bob. They they love doing their like wrestling tongues on the red carpet <laughs> yes. look, and and it literally is wrestling tongues. Their tongues are outstretched from both of their mouths, just like slapping against each other on any red carpet. Yeah, they become friends with their like um, great value relationship. Travis Barker and Kourtney Kardashian. Oh, right. Although that's a slam to them because I like both of them too. Mm. I feel like, you know, like she's always been the more palatable Kardashian. And Travis Barker, um, I've stand for a while, surprisingly. Like he's a person when he pops up, I'm like, I do like you. Yeah, I think he's fine. But yeah, they've got this like 
we're wet, horny sewer creatures thing going on, and you're yeah. gonna watch us get our slime on each other. They're the seniors at high school who are, you know, constantly causing a scene. Yeah, right. Yeah, a horny scene. But um, no idea why the fight happened. But I choose to believe that Conor McGregor probably said something sideways about Megan and Machine mm. Gun Kelly was like. I don't think so. Mm, that does feel plausible. I agree. Because she was wearing nothing on the carpet in her Moogler custom dress. So I feel like that would have invited a gross man like Conor McGregor to say something about her. Uh, correct. Correct. Also, was that dress kind of meant to be a throwback to Rose McGowan or something? I noticed there was lots of like VMA throwbacky stuff on the yeah, carpet this year. I, I think so. I mean, I think we're in an era of fashion where every piece is... A reference to something else. Definitely. Everything is Pinterest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm really here for her resurgence. So she's one of the people who had like a, a decade just like of her career just sort of like destroyed and dormant. And a brief period where she was with Brian Austin Green. Uh, <laughs> and now she's back. And she's just... Is she in a movie? Who's to say? Or she's just she's just Megan Fox. She's just a badass. Right, right. Right. It reminds me of my favorite tweet that I saw last night that was um it said JLo is on a constant press tour for herself. Yes, right. <laughs> you will know that I am sepia colored and yeah. very shiny and gorge. So I just love a celebrity who is just there and it's just because they're a celebrity. So I don't know what Megan Fox is promoting besides herself. And her resurgence, but I'm happy for it. Yeah. Also, I mean, routinely when she gives interviews, the woman is pretty fucking funny, I have to say. And also, okay, is this true? Are the youngsters actually very excited about Jennifer's body? It feels like that movie. They, comes people out like quite Jennifer's a bit body. Now. It's a yeah. it's a it's mm-hmm. a it's a cult movie. So yeah, right. Yeah. I feel like that's a movie we'll be hearing a little bit more from in the next few years. Like it'll keep coming on up. But getting into the actual show, opened up by your your lady. Now, the less said, the better, so you better move it right along. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Madonna started with the pre-tape thing where she gets out of a cab and says, the thing that she does that I am so sick of is reminding you of her legacy. Now, okay, you're Madonna, be defensive, whatever. People say horrible things about you. I understand being defensive. It is now the only thing she does with her time, is talking about how important she was, how she's one of the first people to talk about AIDS as a celebrity. All true. We have to move on from this. Oh, as a fan, I am so sick of it. She repeated the probably untrue narrative that she came to New York with $35 in her pocket. It's a fucking (laughs) Horatio Alger novel. You know that is not true. You know that is not true. Luckily, she just walked in. She did an introductory line that I believe she flubbed. And walked out. It was a reference to the 94 VMAs, since everything's a reference. Yes. When Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley walked out at the VMAs, a surprise opening, and then they made out in front of people. Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly of the 90s. Woof. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, then he says, after they were done making out, and they said we wouldn't last. Right. And then they walk off. So that's what Madonna was referencing when she came out, did that, and then walked away, which I'm sure no one in the audience got. No. (laughs) And she was talking about her relationship with MTV. And by the way, they kind of flubbed the marketing on this. MTV is what's 40 years old, not the VMAs. And so I felt like they were sort of mixing that up because the VMAs started in 84. The first video of the year, the cars you might think. A good one. Anyway, I was actually pleased, though, 
with how many kind of legacy artists they had going through the telecast. I mean, I'm not a fan of Van Halen. It's just nice to know David Lee Roth is exactly the same, for example. And also, Buster Rhymes was like the best performance of the night. Yeah. I love him. You know, I think that post-pandemic, a lot of celebrities were just excited to get out of the fucking house. Yeah. And they were like, the VMAs? Sure. Right. I'll go. We'll agree on this. And they happened to coincide with New York Fashion Week and also the Met Gala this year. So it was just a big reason for every celebrity to be in New York. Yes, right. So it's just sort of like, if I'm here, I might as well go. Right. I have to say, though, the lack of emphasis on the awards themselves is expected at this point. Like, besides video of the year, who even remembers who wins VMAs anymore? Especially when they add categories like song of the year. Come on, girls. It's about videos. Stop it. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But it makes me feel like there should just be like a once a season show where like 13 artists debut their new singles with big performances. Because that's what these things have become, right? Just a medley Mm. of performers where it's not really about the... Like, people don't remember awards anymore. And also, musicians in general, terrible at giving speeches. Actors kick their asses in this regard. Maybe they shout out somebody, but I think the problem is musicians have to thank way more boring people. Like, there's always all these producers, all these songwriters or agents, managers, whatever. Whereas actors can be a little bit more inspired and artistic about it, I feel. Yeah, and they just tend to ignore everyone else who works on a film. You got it. Right. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. Who wrote this dialogue that you loved me uh, <laughs> giving on screen? I couldn't tell you. Don't ask Marion Cotillard. Yeah. <laughs> also, best performance of the night, but Busta Rhymes is very anti-vax Ugh. and anti-mask. Put your research where my eyes can see. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's it going to be? Uh, not a vaccine. Not Moderna. <laughs> yeah. Which I love that the VMAs were like, sure, just show up. Because we're not going to deal with asking you to be vaccinated. Oh, yeah. That is strange. Imagine MTV asking people to be vaccinated at this point. They just need people to be at the show. Yeah, right. Exactly. And also, they did that thing they always do, which is not really showing you who's in the audience because all the celebrities attending will win awards. Yeah. So, like, it was like, hmm, Dua Lipa's not here. Or is she? Like, they didn't really, like, clue you in on who was in the audience. Mm-hmm. Every celebrity you saw eventually got up on stage. You know who is the coolest member of this entire troupe? I mean, this is not news to anybody. Billie Eilish. Yeah. Continues to be the most normal and, like, rational and has a core of identity that she stays true to. Anyway, that's, that's my takeaway from her. And in terms of so musicians who can give fun speeches... I enjoyed Lil Nas X's, you know, this is yes. for the gay agenda. Right. That was good. That was a fu- And he kept it pretty short. Also, the Foo Fighters, when they accepted their not the Video Vanguard Award, they had some other, it was like Global Impact Award. Do you know how to make me hate an award show? Change the awards. <laughs> I hate that. People want to win awards because 50 years ago, somebody else won that same award. You know what I mean? That's why somebody yeah. wants an Oscar. But um, Dave Grohl thanked all these old school MTV personalities and that's when I almost got emotional. Oh, you're thanking Kurt Loder and Tabitha Soren and uh, Matt Pinfield back when they used to have people on the network who knew everything about music and there was actually like an HQ for like what was happening in contemporary music. That made me feel really good and he remains fucking cool. I love Dave Grohl. Yeah, you know, I mean, MTV was sort of like that in 2016 and then they fired all of us. (laughs) Oh, that's uh... right. You were there. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, David Lee Roth continues to be one of my favorite. Just musicians. a complete, like, it, it literally, it reminded me of at one VMA's Beck won something, and then Van Halen was, they presented the award, and they were standing behind him, and David Lee Roth just starts, like, talking to nobody in the middle of Beck's speech, being kind of an asshole. And he kind of did the same thing to Little Lao's X. He was just having his own conversation. It wasn't as rude seeming, but it was like, man, you are the same. Yeah. Um, Lil Nas X's performance, by the way, if we can get into the performances. I said when this song came out, it was his best single, and it was his best video, and this performance was the best one as well. I know we had talked about, like, the Montero performance that he did at the BET Awards, but this one just finally seemed, it's, it's all really snapping together for him in the way that, like, the dancing is turning out great. The the visuals, everything is really working for me at this moment. Yeah, uh, and uh, he does remain one of the funnier of the crop of current pop stars, which I really appreciate. And then, secondly, I'm cool with that winning video of the year. I, I mean, it was it was a good editorial choice for MTV. I mean, like WAP to me hit slightly harder, especially as a video. I think. Yeah. But I do. I, I appreciate this entering the pantheon. There aren't too many queer videos mm -hmm. in the video of the year legacy. I mean, I'm thinking back, you know, you got your Sinead O'Connor would be kind of close, but that's it. Yeah. And well, and you know, every Madonna video is about AIDS. That's, that's exactly <laughs> Ray of Light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chloe Bailey also, I would be remiss if I did not mention her entrance into Legendary. I thought the performance was great. I love this song. It is so interesting watching her solo, though, because, like, the Chloe and Hallie have this sort of, like, weird futuristic vibe about them. And Chloe's performance here was literally um, young Beyonce. Even the moves were very Beyonce. It was well done, but it did kind of blend together with other performances to me. Not because I don't want it to be sexual or whatever, but it reminded me of other performers' sexual performances, which surprised yeah. me. Because I feel like, as, as you said, Chloe and Hallie are a specific brand. Yeah, and it's just weird that, like, I mean, of course it's America, and, you know, we've got everything that's going on in Texas, so we should not be surprised at, you know, how um, yes. mm -hmm. women are treated. But it still feels weird to have... Chloe do a performance in 2021 and then have her have to give an interview afterwards that's like, you know, men can glorify ass in songs. Like, I feel like I should be able to do that too. It's like, who is really sitting at home being <laughs> mad at what a woman is wearing at the VMAs in 2021 anymore? Right. And you're forcing her to give interview <laughs> responses that, get ready, Madonna had to give in 1995 <laughs> for the Take a Bow video or whatever. Um... Were there any other performances that we actually enjoyed? I have to say, when Olivia Rodrigo does that damn song, I mean, people get up and jump, and I do get it. I'm a little sick of it's it. It's a great song. Point. Yeah. It's a great song. It does feel like it's been out for five years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's also because we, when you mentioned before, like you know, wanting people to perform like maybe every season a different song uh, or newer songs that are out, it reminds me that we missed that era of like people just singing in the TRL studio. Oh, yeah. So you see people performing more, and it's like, if we think we're tired of that song now, I can't imagine back in like the 2000s if that were out. We'd hear it everywhere. Oh, right. Like even TRL would get sick of it. Like the way they played videos on that show, you would hear less and less of the song as it played. You would hear 20 seconds of Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey, and one person shouted out, and then Carson would be like, and moving on to the new Backstreet Boys song or whatever, you know? And even when it was number one, it'd be like they have to play a lot of the video because it's number one, but 
if it had been playing like every fucking day, like he would be talking over it as it's playing in the background, and then you just get the end of the video. Yeah, they were they were very sick of playing those same videos every day. Right. I'm sure. So this is my call for a new American Bandstand like show where we just like play the songs once in a while, get the production value there. You can do away with the awards part because God knows some of these people should be talking less. Yeah, and um, as we said, no one remembers what VMAs are. No. Anyway. I I say that with regret because I do. It's really just about the name recognition now. And it's you were at the VMAs and, you know, you had to promote it. And then there's a new video for people to watch. And I'm glad they're on YouTube because it is impossible to find, like, Anything streaming from MTV after it airs. Totally, totally. You know what it's, ex- it's exactly like? The challenge. It's like, ask somebody who's obsessed with the challenge if they know what Road Rules is. Like, they don't really know what that is anymore, you know? Yeah, I do because I'm old. No, likewise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and from Northern Trails, still love you. All right. When we're back, I'm going to talk about the Met. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. The Met Gala, Anna Wintour's annual vanity project to benefit the Metropolitan Museum's Costume Institute, was Monday night. Ask anybody on the street what the Met Ball is for. (laughs) Picture Machine Gun Kelly be like, we have to help this museum. (laughs) Uh, It was chaired by Gen Z royalty, Timothy Chalamet, Billie Eilish, Amanda Gorman, Naomi Osaka, and the theme was... In America, a lexicon of fashion. Not in America, the Samantha Morton movie. Okay. Mm. Theme, as usual, was very loose. Yeah, it was any old fucking thing. No one loves to do the Met theme. 
ever. And it's and I'm tired of the articles always saying so and so broke the Met Gala fashion rules and looked great. How about you wear what you're fucking told to be wearing? It, right. It's more fun that way. It gives it a purpose as opposed to. 50 stylists agreed on this thing to make you look outrageous as opposed to, oh, you have a little bit of wit going on and you came up with something that adhered to the theme in an interesting way. I do say that while also loving what Kim Kardashian wore. I also liked what she wore and I felt like she got nothing but dragged for it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Balenciaga is not always good. Sure. Case in point, the queen of the Met Gala was maybe not dethroned, um, but... Rihanna? It was okay. I don't know. It was it was fine. But it wasn't what you were expecting from her as like a showstopper, especially since she made us wait as long as she's been waiting us wait for this album. Yeah. Like she's like, I'm the last person who's gonna walk out. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and then you just come out wearing a Balenciaga puffer. Okay, girl. It was a puffy black dress. I liked the headpiece on it. That was kind of the coolest part for me. The way it was super bulgy and billowy. It's the kind of dress that makes you think, oh, she must be pregnant or something. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tracy Ellis Ross looked great in a Balenciaga blue um, jacket. So it is what it is. She's a celebrity you kind of need because she's always going to be invited to these events. You like her. She has a personality. And she believes in star power. Like, she's somebody who's clearly her mother's daughter. So, you know, it's, it's like that Jane Fonda thing of, like, I have my serious causes, et cetera, but also it really is important for me to look like I belong on a red carpet. Yeah, so before we get to the um, tragic moments on the runway, what were your favorite looks? Gosh, I just want to say Kim Kardashian, which she was covered head to toe, and it was a black, long, silky garment. That was maybe my favorite of the night. Otherwise, I would have to go again with Billie Eilish. She chose... Oscar de la Renta. And it's very Marilyn Monroe, right? Like yeah. She had like the blonde hair. Um, it was a, a kind of a baby pink colored dress. Almost washed her out, but didn't. So good color choice. Yeah. Because she is pale like you. Yeah, right. Yes. And <laughs> if I wear baby pink, you, all you're going to think is, wow, Lewis is really pink. Anyway. No, she looked great. Uh, what were yours? She's feeling her fantasy this era. And I think... I really like this Billy era. Yeah, I think the album's good. I actually haven't listened to it since it came out, but I do like the album. More than Casey's, anyway. Was Casey at the Met Gala? She did not nail she it. Was, she, was at, she was at the Met Gala. It was cute. Just like this album. Yeah, we'll get to Starcrossed, bitch. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, like an album by a woman. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, that's my problem. I must not like uh, ladies who sing. <laughs> I loved Cara Delevingne's outfit. What was it like? It said Peg the Patriarchy on it. She was wearing like the white pants. Yes. And sort of like the like military-ish sort of like top. I thought that was good because I typically, I'm about to sound very Republican. Oh, let's go. <laughs> it's, it's your time. You're 35. Keep the politics out the Met Gala. Oh, here we are. Wow. Shut I up and so sing. Ti- I am so tired. I am so tired of people with their with their messages on the carpet because it always <laughs> equates to something. Like, this one was cute because the lettering was nice. Um, but uh, case in point, AOC and the Tax the Rich dress, I hated it. Okay, I didn't hate it. I did think it was a little chewy, but I liked it. <laughs> A word I have only word. used in earnest once, and that is right now. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like the Cruella font. Yes. It looked like it was painted on her after the fact, and I didn't think the dress was that cute either. 
Do you know what I thought it looked like? The font from that movie, You're Next. Uh, yeah. horror movie where, where they keep writing your ne- by the way that's the part of the movie that makes no sense it's like the killer spent time like graffitiing the walls afterwards it makes no sense anyway especially once you know the twist of your next yes no don't think about it yeah uh, <laughs> the whole movie falls apart if she had an axe and she was actually killing uh rich people on the carpet uh-huh then i'd buy it okay give me the bloody lettering and then like a bloody axe or something go full camp with it yeah okay i will say this i'm fully okay with calling the dress tacky or like you didn't like it or whatever but i felt like a lot of the internet went with this choice of isn't it ironic that she went to the met gala and is saying this about the rich there's no irony there you can be around rich people and think they should be taxed it was the shut up and sing argument yeah but not understanding this is her job like she is doing her job yeah you know and it's like she was invited yeah she was invited on an expensive ticket because the met gala tickets are expensive and the tables are but she was invited so she didn't pay for it right you know obviously were these people born yesterday yes I would be curious who, like, shot her a sidelong glance, et cetera. I think she should write a diary entry about it and then publish it. But she's sort of not like a shit talker about celebrities, and I need her to be. No, just Ted Cruz. Right, yeah, who is (laughs) singing sensation, Ted Cruz, yes. Uh, I loved Frank Ocean and this green baby. Oh, oh my God, right. What? (laughs) He's so fucking weird. I did like this weird choice, but I I have a weird take about the Met Gala right now, which is I feel like maybe I'll think differently next year. You may as well go hot over outrageous because I felt pretty disappointed by most of the quote-unquote outrageous looks this year, and I do mean the first two things Lil Nas X wore. Just like, oh, a big fucking coat. Oh, like a metallic undergar. It's just like, that could go on any celebrity. It didn't feel particular to him. It was giving final lip sync for the crown on Drag Race. Yeah. Whenever someone's wearing something big and there's multiple looks underneath, just pick one, baby. Right. Mm -hmm. I liked what he was wearing at the end, the the final kind of copperish thing that wasn't a suit of armor. but Yeah, the the bodysuit. Yes. That was Mm -hmm. really hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked Frank Ocean's weird choice mostly because I like Frank Ocean's era as a weird celebrity uh, who doesn't pretend that he uh, is going to give us music anymore or give <laughs> us uh, a tour. Just be you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> a-, a Lauren Hill I'm not afraid to have an interview with. Yes. Yes. Uh, Megan Fox, hot as usual. And she went with a power bang, which I really like for her. A power bang and like a long braid. Yeah, when she leans into severity and she's like, I'm going full fucking Debbie Mazar. That's yeah. what I want to see. Uh, Balenciaga, again, was um, Elliot Page. And congrats to him for <laughs> making his Met Gala debut. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I thought it was cute enough. I thought it was a cute suit. Also, obviously, when you're like... A transgender man, obviously wearing a gender-affirming look is, I think, also probably the point of an event like this. So, of course. I mean, it, I it's love also the shoes. awesome. Yeah. I love the shoes. Like, once I saw the full outfit, it sort of worked a bit more for me, but I don't know. Just th- a lot of these Balenciaga looks, I just feel the, like the point is just being bulky yeah. and weird, which is okay. Do you know what's a, a minor thing I noticed about Elliot Page that I really appreciated when he was getting his picture taken and there's like a hundred flashbulbs going off? He changed his expression in very minor ways looking at each camera but not gigantic faces it, it's sort of like watching Kristen Stewart or something it's acting you want to watch under a microscope mm-hmm. and it made me think like we need Elliot Page in a movie again I would agree with that uh, and I also I liked Kristen Stewart's look 
I will say she is on this press tour for Spencer been dressing a lot like um, she's covering teen people in 2003. <laughs> she's going with a lot more like bright, poppy, early 2000s colors, um, which is different for her. Yeah. Maybe she's having fun now as a celebrity. Do you think Krista Stewart is finally having fun? Wow. No, I, I've said myself, I think there should be a Pablo Lorraine movie about her doing this press tour because it's exactly like Jackie, where it's just, <laughs> she's nervous in a public space. All eyes are on her. How will she handle it? So uh, maybe she is. I mean, whenever she gives an interview, it actually, she has a kind of droll attitude towards everything. I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, Tessa Thompson looks great. For a change, yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. She looks, she looks constantly amazing. <laughs> Iman looked unbelievable. Can you uh, believe it? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Although, unfortunately, I hear that that dress was done in collaboration with Dolce & Gabbana. So Iman gets Ooh. nothing from me. Wham, bam, no thank you, ma'am. That's my David uh, Bowie reference for her. Okay. <laughs> uh, I talked about J-Lo earlier in that tweet. She looked good. Yeah. She, she always looks good. The outfit wasn't really working for me. It was trying to be very early 2000s. It was... Given Crocodile Dundee. It, hold on. She had the hat and like a kind of a fur shoulder situation. Somebody yeah. said she looked like the Queen of Montana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, giving Real Housewives of Montana, Center. Yeah. What, what would they hold up in Montana? It's big sky country. We got a big sky here and no limb. I don't know. I can't do this on, uh, off the fly. Holding up, holding up dirt in the opening credits. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Monta Montana. Someone from Montana is going to be in our DMs after this. All right. Angry. Um, Enjoy Billings, whatever, whoever you are. <laughs> um, Simone looked great. Oh, of course. Was happy to see Simone on the carpet. Maluma. Woof. The hottest man. The hottest male celebrity. Now I'm going to step in it right now. Is he one of these people that's secretly 5'6"? I think he's short. See, yeah. that's, that's always the key. You're like, God, why are the abs popping like that? Oh, that's right. It takes you no time at all because your abs are the size of fucking Legos. <laughs> Speaking of people with abs... Sean Mendez loves a shirtless moment. Oh, by the way, at the so first, first of all, at the VMAs this weekend, he wore just a off-white blazer with an off-white ensemble underneath, literally looking like it gave first wise club. It was giving me Joan London for Claritin, <laughs> which is my favorite reference. <laughs> I do not think that he knows how to dress from day to day. Yeah, he's just sort of cute and clueless. Yeah, and I think he just shows up, puts on what someone tells him to put on, and then. Walks out the door. Yeah, he's a nervous giggle of a man. Yes. Yeah. He and Camila, I thought they looked cute. They always look cute. Uninteresting as a couple, but I mean, fine enough. Saweetie looked very good in her Christian Cowan dress. And here is where we get to um, one, of the, one of the outfits that was getting the girls to talk. Also by Christian Cowan was Ben Platt's denim look. Right. I will say... I like the look. Yes. I don't like it for the Met Gala. I think the problem is pairing it with him. He's not a rock star, and the, the look to me runs very swaggering 70s, and he's yes. not really that. I'm like, I'm trying to think of a celebrity counterpoint for him from the past for him to like really emulate, because he seems so sweet and nice, and he's like a theater kid, so... There's a lot of emotion going on. Right. You know, uh, I feel bad for him because, you know, he probably... Um, was on the couch all day before the Met Gala, crying after those um, Dear Evan Hansen reviews. Oh, woof. What a situation. But if you're a theater kid, you're used to going through those emotions. True. <laughs> and, you, and you channel it into your red carpet look, yes. <laughs> God, I kind of wish he 
I, I guess he does this sometimes, and this is not like the greatest example, but like someone like Brad Goreski, like just keep it like natty and cute and like polished because there is something preppy about him. I mean, he's Mark Platt's kid. Sorry, you can't subtract that from the equation. Yeah. Um, maybe like an Elliot Gould vibe, like the way Elliot Gould used mm. to dress. Oh. Like always looked dapper and cute. We got to have an Elliot Gould discussion on this podcast sometimes. Yeah. He, oh, the long goodbye. That's when you get attracted to Elliot Gould. Yeah. We'll have an Elliot Gould moment. I, I will promise the audience that at some point. Okay, yeah. That's how you get the ratings. Uh, <laughs> Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, that movie holds up. Yeah, You know what this has been leading to. Grimes' beautiful dress? I loved Grimes' dress, to be honest. Me too. She looked amazing. Fucking amazing. Yes. I'm always floored by how much I love her and then contrasting with how much I want um, <laughs> Batman to stop Elon Musk. Right. <laughs> send, him to, send him to Arkham. Yeah. <laughs> No, she's kind of like somebody else involved in her orbit, Azealia Banks, where it's like, oh, wow, you were life-affirmingly amazing in that one moment. A moment later, I couldn't be madder. Yeah, I wish Azealia would unblock me. But anyway, <laughs> um, Grimes' sword also um, was apparently from a company that turns AR rifles into swords. Great. I was yeah. not curious about that transformation, and <laughs> somebody is providing that for us, and I somebody will thank them. But now... Baby, I'm, I was leading this to Dan Levy's outfit. Okay. Um, Who we love. We do love. Yes. Oh, of course. He's like a lovely person. Talented. Gay people shouldn't be able to make decisions for themselves. That's where I'm coming from on this one. <laughs> before, sorry, I, I, I'm not familiar with who the queer artist was who had the print on the middle of his outfit. Yes. But- David Wojnarowicz was the artist uh, who he was referencing, and he has a lot of like queer, angry art. He died of AIDS. Uh, I love, I love a moment like that. A nice nod, you know. Yeah. Um, but the idea we love. But it was was this the camp theme? No, right. By the way, I feel like that was a problem with this year's awards. Is like the memory of the camp year looms large, and people are still going crazy in that way. And I feel like they forgot to morph out of that and back into what the Met Gala usually is. Yeah. You know what? Susan Sontag always lingers. <laughs> she is a scary woman. <laughs> I, I know I brought it up before. You guys, want, you guys want a scare? Halloween's coming up. Watch interviews with Susan Sontag where she does not suffer any interviewer about any question. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, I thought the colors were nice on him. It just wasn't, wasn't for me. But celebrating queer love, I'm always happy for that. And no, not me. Go ahead. And it, <laughs> and it was not that big flag thing that Lena Waithe wore during the camp year. So Oof, hello, right. let's celebrate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and shout out to Troy Sivan for looking like Princess Diana. You, do you know who he looked like? Uh, the, the dress he wore was very something Christina Ricci might wear while promoting 200 cigarettes or something. I did enjoy yeah. his little slip of a thing. I'm usually opposed to every skinny sort of um, twink. Um, sorry, Meredith Marks for using the word twink. But um, skinny twink who just sort of like is a dress on the carpet now is their vibe. Right, right. It's like that's the fashion. It's like, I don't know how many norms you're breaking here anymore. Um, but... <laughs> right. Looked cute. It was giving Mila Jovovich. There you go. Woof. Yes. 
a reference I sorely miss. Yeah, so I, I choose to believe Troy Zavon went out and slayed a few vampires and well-worlds after. Right. Between him and Billie Eilish, there are lots of interesting ways to remind me of Scarlett Johansson. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate them both for their take on this. All right, well, we're back. Anthony Borowski. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Our guest today is a TV personality, chef, and best-selling author. You might know him as the food and wine expert on the Emmy Award-winning Queer Eye. Please welcome the writer of the new cookbook, Let's Do Dinner, Anthony Borowski. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Ira. I already I have to correct you on one thing. Okay. So I'm not a chef. Okay. I'm a home cook. Oh, well. A cook. What is the distinction... Because uh, I feel like that is an important thing to know. I just have a tremendous amount of respect for chefs who did uh, traditional culinary training and went to culinary school. That is not my story. Um, I have a psych background. I went to conservatory. I'm very self-taught. And by self-taught, I mean I watched a shit ton of Food Network growing up. And I watched like Julia Child on Saturday morning when other normal kids were like watching cartoons so um, it, it's kind of like, I, I, I feel like it's just, I don't want to give myself like a title that just doesn't feel authentic. And I feel like it put, puts less pressure on myself if I refer to myself as a home cook. Okay. Okay. Well. Branding. You, you heard know. it here. All right. You know, <laughs> most home cooks don't have, you know, cookbooks that are in my home. But um, I'll go with cook for you. <laughs> I mean, you've been on the show now for years and you've had a cookbook before. Do you ever just stop coming up with recipes? I mean, I, I, I wish I was just more versed in food, but I just feel like even if you were an amazing cook, you would eventually run out of the things you really enjoy making. Here's the deal. Unless you're Martha Stewart, no one knows everything about cooking. And I feel like there's always a new culture that we can explore. There's always a new technique. There's always a new way of doing things. And I think that's what makes it so interesting for me. Because like even with Let's Do Dinner... I looked at like recipes that I actually legit make for me and my boyfriend and then like kind of testing them out. We tried to figure out how we can tweak them to make them even simpler, even easier for, you know, the average cook to be able to make it with like ingredients readily available in like a Midwestern town, you know, not just like in a coastal city or, or whatever it is. So I feel like there's, there's always a new way of doing it. And I'm constantly tweaking things. I'm constantly perfecting my soft scrambled eggs which is like literally two ingredients but somehow i just keep trying to make them like better and better so it just never gets old for me that's what's so fun about it i get that because as a person who loves cooking uh myself and i feel like i you know the same i learned from my parents and then i also learn from 
picking up random recipes and like books or like the Food Network or something. I'm always intrigued by the idea of like um, what you need in your kitchen to be able to just sort of like cook all the time. And I know that you open up your book with like your list of like essentials. So how did you get to what specifics you need to have like in a kitchen if, you know, you get home from work and you want to make dinner, you have a friend over unexpectedly and you want to cook for them. Like what were the specifics that made you be like, okay, this is what I need. When it was first, you know, I have a, a brilliant co-author and my dear friend Mindy Fox and an awesome editor, Rux Martin, who uh, we all collaborated together on the book. They brought up the idea of like the pantry staples because Mindy came over when we started cooking and she was like, wow, like you really keep it stocked. Like you have your your go-tos and your stuff. And I kind of never really put that much thought into it. It's just ingredients that I use all the time. So if I go to the grocery store, I'm always picking up like two to three tubes of like tomato paste, but I get it in a tube. I don't get it in a can, even though it's a dollar more because you never use up the whole can of tomato paste, at least not the quantities that I'm cooking with. And it just goes to waste. So then it just kind of stays in your fridge. One of the things that like drives me nuts is when I'm trying out like a chef's recipe and I go to the grocery store and I'm getting like 10 to 20 ingredients. I use like 20 to 30% of it and I'm left with all these leftovers and I don't really know what to do with them. So we kind of wanted to, to position the book in a way where I kind of showed you like, this is what I keep in my freezer, in my pantry and in my fridge. These are like my staples. So that when it's time to figure out what you want for dinner, you go to the grocery store, you figure out what your protein is. You go to the produce aisle, you get two to three vegetables and you're basically good to go. It just makes my life a whole lot easier. You, you just talked about an experience that I want to know something about, which is you going to the grocery store. Do people like linger and like look at what you're picking out and stuff? Because I know if I saw you at the grocery store, I'd be like, oh, he's getting some fucking tomato paste today. I wonder what he thinks he's <laughs> making now. <laughs> like, do you feel like you have to impress people with what you shop for? I'm very aloof and kind of like naive. If I'm at the grocery store with my boyfriend, like he'll notice that sort of thing more. But with me, I'm just like, also grocery stores are like, my Toys R Us. If I go in for one ingredient, I know that I talk in the book about like going in and going out. But like, to be honest, like I spend 30 to 40 minutes minimum. I have to go through every single aisle. I want to see what's going on. It's like my happy, fun place. Um, so I'm kind of more paying attention to like the stuff that I'm looking at and like sniffing out fruits and veggies and like looking for the perfect peach because season's about to be done and like finding the last batch of heirloom tomatoes and like getting excited for like when the squash is going to come up because it's like fall, you know? I guess I don't really pay attention to it too much. But if I did, I'd probably get really self-conscious. Now I want there to be like like the way Nickelodeon had like the Toys R Us toy run for kids. They should have had a similar version for people like you, like the supermarket version where like this a weird 11-year-old gay child runs and picks up the squashes he finally wants. It's also a great show hosted by Leslie Jones called That's Supermarket true. Sweep. That's fair. <laughs> Originally That's David fair. Ruprecht. Yes, right. Yes. Uh, Lewis and I are definitely kids who grew up on Supermarket Sweep. I feel like it didn't help me learn what to pick up at a grocery store no. but it no. did teach me that you need a really big ham that's if you want <laughs> you, need a, you need a massive ham and you need one of those like unicorn blow up floaties that don't yeah. they don't exist at any of the grocery stores i go to but i'm still really happy to see them you're right what is what is that even based on the inflatable toys you could pick up at a grocery store it's like oh this unicorn with a 50 dollars sticker on it they just totally I, threw they're that just in. cumbersome and really visual and hopefully there's like a big price tag underneath 
you know, I feel like the joy of that was for people who actually shop and know how much things cost because it's sort of like when you watch Jeopardy and you're like, I know this answer. Totally. And then I imagined, you know, rich people watching Supermarket Sweep and just being floored by how much <laughs> anything costs. <laughs> I thought a bag of potatoes was $150. <laughs> so I was at the grocery store last night, Trader Joe's, which I used to be a bigger Trader Joe's fan, and I feel like when the pandemic hit, I spent less time in grocery stores, so it's always sort of like an adventure when I go back now. Yeah. But I went last night, and I was shopping because I made one of your recipes last night. What? And I cooked it because I wanted to tell you about it and ask you about it. I made the creamy um, parpadel with chicken and bacon. I think it turned out pretty good. Are you happy with it? I am happy with it. I am happy with it. It definitely is a rich cream sauce it's not not i was eating it while watching housewives last night and i was like i should not have two plates of this but you know what i'm gonna do it <laughs> it's about balancing it out i've got some like healthy salads but then at the same time if i just eat healthy all the time i don't get to like appreciate health anymore so i kind of have to like switch it up so like you need decadence but also i'm distracted now because i like can't focus on anything else which housewives franchise were you watching <laughs> well, okay so i was traveling um this past weekend so last night i caught up on potomac and the salt lake city premiere oh, uh, i'm only through <laughs> salt lake but my mind is already blown it has there is a chance that it might blow beverly hills out of the water for this season but potomac has been excellent yeah we talked last week about how like the housewives turned into like true crime this year especially with salt lake city and beverly hills and um aside from that though potomac is delivering an absolute perfect just housewives season and it's the best one and what uh do is it dr wendy dr wendy she like i've fallen for her so hard i feel like She's like going through it with like all of the shaming from the other women on like her appearance and everything. I'm not here for that. You're a Dr. Wendy fan? I am now. At first, I just like didn't have strong opinions one way or the other. But now I'm kind of like, I feel like she's doing her own thing and feeling herself and like the other women kind of like bringing up like questioning her appearance. I'm just not, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> she should be able to express herself however she may be. You can have your opinions about plastic surgery, whatever it is, but let's like, it's her body, it's her choice, and like just give her give her some dignity and respect. That's fair. I do feel like she's playing a bit of a character this season. Isn't everybody at all times though? True. Yeah, not really a show for the guileless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sorry, one more thing I want to say about Potomac that I really appreciate is that these women, like, when they want to eat, they eat and they're gonna eat on camera, whether it's sun chips or Cheetos or snacks. It's like and the way that it's edited, also, um, I'm kind of new to Housewives, but I'm like mm -hmm. a massive fan, so I'm like doing a lot of catching up. But on like Beverly Hills, they talk about how hungry they are, and then they like will nosh on like a carrot stick or something. But New Jersey, yeah. where they edit it and they show every single thing that's ordered, the food is always excellent. And same for Potomac, it's like they're not afraid to like. I feel like they show themselves more honestly and like, no, we're gonna like actually sit down and have a sandwich right now. Well, I'm gonna give you a gift then. Go to uh, on Instagram, follow Real Housewives Orders. It's one of my favorite Instagram accounts, and it actually um. 
takes clips from different episodes of every franchise and it replays the orders. And it's so funny, you know, like over the years watching the franchises of how you're seeing what people order on different shows. Yeah. Like Ellen Davidson, whenever she's would order wine, it, there's just a multi-clip of a recent one where she's just like, can I get a really dry white wine? And then like the next time she says like, what's your driest white wine? You, you get like into the minutia <laughs> of what people order at restaurants. And I that love, is a funny aspect. Love. Well, there goes the rest of my day. <laughs> it's also just an interesting um, lens through which to watch the show. Like I would never even think to look at the food but of course like that's on your mind i'm sure i'm sure you watch most tv that way and wonder if like the, the food ordering is um credible or whatever i'm like that with everything even in a restaurant like being a waiter and a busboy and a manager for like 10 plus years i'm always like okay where's the bread station is it close to the espresso machine because when i was a busboy i like made cappuccinos and i cut the bread do they do that here and it's like where do all the servers stand like where's the kitchen located like where's the swing door like all of that stuff I kind of can't have fun in a restaurant because of it, but I also love it because I get to kind of like always try to figure out what's going on. Well, so you were part of a restaurant concept that had opened before Mm -hmm. in New York that I did visit. And is that something that's still um, a passion of yours? Like, or do you prefer to just do the like, um, be like the home cook now, you know, with like, with like your books and stuff like that? Or do you actually yeah. want to get back into a restaurant space? Because that would make you a chef probably. True. Then you couldn't deny it. it. Probably. <laughs> then I could <laughs> argue you. You don't like that I corrected you. <laughs> I'm a Leo. I famously hate being corrected. Well, I'm, so, I'm sorry. And I'm going to apologize okay. for taking up air in the room because I'm Canadian and we apologize for existing. <laughs> we just can't help it. Um, honestly, it's not for me, it's really not one or the other. I'm somebody who's very passionate about a lot of different things. And I'm also pretty severely ADD. Um, So it's kind of, it just checks a different box in my brain and in my soul. So would I be open to it? Absolutely. Right now with like cookbook launch and like other projects and stuff going on, it would definitely be biting off more than I can chew. And I'm learning the power of no recently, where it's kind of like, I had this paranoia when the show first came out of like, okay, this 15 minutes might be like 30 seconds. So just like say yes to everything and try to do as much as you can. Um, but the problem with that is that I don't get to put as much attention to, to things as I want to. And so now I'm really trying to focus on like quality over quantity. Um, but one day I'm open to literally anything. I'll try anything twice. Um, so who knows? I have a question specifically about the evolution of Queer Eye. And I know there's another season coming up mm-hmm. soonish. How much pressure do you feel to like kind of change up the show or what you do on the show? Just because I feel like after the first few seasons, everyone's acquainted with all five of you. We know what you're all good at. We know what you specialize in. Is there just, do you put pressure on yourself to do other things with the show to change it up, to make it something uh, different at all? Or do you, do you just walk in thinking, well, the five of us are, you know, wild personalities as is. I'm sure something different will happen. So there's two parts to the show, for me at least, in my experience of, uh, of doing it. One is the type of recipes that I want to demo with the heroes, with the people that we help out. And the second is the parts of my personal life that I choose to share. Sometimes I like a new season will start and I'll be like, oh, well, I've shared about like X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, do I want to share about this thing or not? And it's always kind of tricky because it's like, what part of myself do I want to offer to everybody? And I try to do it when it's organic, when I feel like it benefits the conversation with the hero or like, 
if I want them to be vulnerable, I'm going to have to do it because I can't just ask questions and not share anything about myself. I learned that early on. But at the same time, if I share something about, I don't know, something about growing up or like relationships or whatever it is, as soon as I give that up, it's no longer just mine. And I feel like a little more naked and a little more raw. So I try to be careful and I check my intentions with that. It's a lot of therapy, no joke. Like I literally check in with my therapist every week about it, about everything that I do to make sure like, am I feeding my ego here? Am I trying to be like of service to the story and to like production and to the heroes and trying to make their lives more comfortable? And the second part is with the recipes. So when the first seasons came out of Queer Eye, I got a lot of love. And I got a lot of flack. The girls were talking about the recipes in the first two seasons. So Yeah. So I got, um, you know, like the fact that the recipes were so simple and that they weren't complicated, that I was like barely making a sandwich and all that. So I came in. I remember Kansas City. It was the first episode. It was with Joe, the camp counselor. And I wanted to do like the most ambitious. I forget what it it might have been cassoulet, which is like a really complex sort of like multi-layered French like comfort food dish with like beans and pork and all kinds of stuff. And I remember I went up to Jen Lane, our EP, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do for him this week. And she was like, eh, this is a man who eats granola every day. And you're going to teach him cassoulet? Are you teaching him because you really want him to know how to make cassoulet? Or you want to show people that you actually know, like that you know how to cook and you feel like you're trying to prove something. I was like, okay, point taken. And it was a good reminder that it's sort of like, it's not about my skills. It's about how I can be of service to the hero. And sometimes they have a knowledge of food, but they stopped cooking for whatever reason. And other times no one ever really taught them the ropes. They didn't have a parent who prepared food for them or they understood the importance of it and all of that. So I keep on trying to remind myself that whatever I'm teaching them, I want it to be something that they're going to make time and again. I don't want it to be like a crazy recipe. Like we were talking earlier about going to the grocery store, getting 20 different ingredients. Um, They're going to make it once and be like so fed up that they're not going to do it for another year. So I decided to kind of like do my little showing off per se, or show people that I couldn't cook. I think with the cookbook, which kind of was my intention at first. And now I've sort of calmed down and I was like, you know what? People are always going to have their opinions with the love is going to come hate. And it's like, if you're going to accept one, you're going to have to accept both of them. And as my therapist pointed out, it's like, she's like, this is actually the perfect exercise for you. Cause me being a people pleaser and like wanting everyone to love me. And it's physically impossible when you're in the public space. Cause there's always someone who's either just not going to like the way you look, the way you cook, whatever it is, your personality. Like for me, it's just kind of like stay in my lane, check my intentions and just like keep, you know, moving along. I think also on the topic of just what, say, the internet thinks of you, it would be weird if people didn't like you. Like, I would be suspicious of anybody who was universally liked, you know? Like, the, the, point, of, the point of life is not to be liked, you know? It's totally. Weird. Well, I'm learning that now, you know, at the ripe old age of 37. And um, it, it's honestly, it is really freeing to not dictate all of your actions and everything you do based on, like, trying to figure out how many people are going to like it. You know, that said, I do think it'd be cool if you walked into Joe's house and was just like, I'm going to teach you how to torch your own baked Alaska today or whatever. <laughs> I think you should have gone for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, even if you try to think of a person who's like universally, universally liked, you're like Dolly Parton. You go to some corner on the Internet, you're going to find some person who's like, I've hated that bitch ever since <laughs> Joe. And it's like, all right. <laughs> uh. I have one more important question, Anthony. Are you still putting peas on macaroni and cheese? Yeah, up to And if so, why? (laughs) Yeah, I sure as fuck am. (laughs) Here's the deal, okay? This is a good example of like, 
not caring what people think. I love peas. For me, it's like the only vegetable that as a kid I actually liked. I used to always have them with butter and flake salt, and it was like my favorite side. I know that a lot of people aren't really big fans, but it's such a symbol of my youth. And when I was in college and I first moved to New York, when I was super broke and my dinners would consist of Trader Joe's tuna packed in olive oil because it tastes so much better. And I would like flake it up and I would just basically mix it in a bowl with some frozen peas, also from Trader Joe's, um, with a bit of lemon juice, olive oil, and a bit of like fresh oregano and flake salt. And like, that was my meal. For me, it was like the ultimate comfort that I could have ready in like three to four minutes. And I love having it with mac and cheese. I love, I need to add a green element to something decadent that I'm having. If I'm ordering a pizza from Emmy Squared or Prince Street, or if I'm making my own pizza, I will put a massive heap of fresh arugula tossed in really good balsamic and olive oil and loads of fresh cracked pepper because I need that freshness. And so for me, peas, mm -hmm. I put them in my carbonara. There, I said it. And I'm going to keep on doing it because it makes me happy and I like it. And if you don't like it, don't <laughs> put peas in your carbonara. <laughs> I think peas are lovely in carbonara. We can agree on that. But not in mac and cheese. Not in mac and cheese. For me, it's just a very classic that's the dish of how you grew up making it. It's very, you know, like mac and cheese is mac and cheese. I don't put anything in it. I don't even put breadcrumbs on it. <gasps> Well, then you would hate my skillet bre herby breadcrumb crust broccoli mac and cheese <laughs> that's been let's do dinner. Don't make it, Ira. Don't I am make a it. mac and cheese purist, okay? I respect that. What kind of cheese do you like to put in your mac and cheese? Uh, I go with sharp cheddar a lot. Um, but we, we agree on that. I love mixing in like a different kind, like a ricotta, you know, like something else that gives it a different bit of flavor. Yeah, ricotta is nice. Makes it really nice and thick and creamy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. We've come to a stalemate on that. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you to the red table. It's fine. We're good now. <laughs> I guess I have one last question, which is: Are you surprised by the how your relationships with the with the other guys have changed? Are and and are you particularly pleased with where you are with any one of them at this at this moment? I genuinely am. I think at the beginning it was definitely like I remember the first moment when I was thrown into a room and four of them were already sitting down. This was during chemistry testing, so before any of us were even cast. And at that point, I think I'd only had a conversation with like two of them. Like Bobby was the first person I met because I thought it was so funny that he had to. Bobby's very like he wears earth tones and like black and white and beiges and creams and he had all these like multicolored crazy colored suits because when they were looking him up for casting they found on page four of a google image search that he was wearing like easter egg colors so they decided that's how they wanted him to dress so we talked about that and I loved interior design so I always love speaking to interior designers and architects um, and then I kind of like met them one by one but seeing them all in a group together it was like this like weird, exciting summer camp where like you don't know anybody, but then you're all kind of thrown into this weird environment and suddenly you become best friends. It genuinely does get better and better. I think I can speak for all of us in that like we're all just getting more and more comfortable with who we are and what we do on the show. And we're increasingly, genuinely, all of us are good at like, okay, so like Tan is connecting more with the hero this week. So our job is to support him. If he's going to have the emotional conversation, we have to remember to have fun with the hero because like it can't be all tears because then they're going to be like depressed by the end of the week. 
and we all kind of like listen to each other and, and, and we're just more confident in our craft and what we do. And like, we're just continually just like getting out of our own way and just like letting the story develop and like putting less pressure on ourselves. And I see it in everyone. I see it in all their work when I watch the episodes and I'm sort of like, oh, wow. Oh, that's so sweet. Now I want a nice big steaming bowl of peas all right you you go wow. enjoy your the, the princess and the pea over here i would love it yeah. i would love it if you just panned to a fridge like dripping with peas like just like <laughs> flying out on the floor this is just like this is me trolling for like a pea endorsement because i i i haven't done one yet so i'm just waiting for green giant to call me into a pea commercial <laughs> oh my gosh actually do you have like a dream food endorsement i still want i want wheat thin specifically to choose me to just talk like rant on air in a ted talk style fashion about wheat he thins. has been thirsting for wheat thins for years yeah. i love a wheat thin they're so nice and sweet okay if there's one that i want to do it's actually a really small company and i'm obsessed with them just bear with me chicken chips they sell them at whole foods the brand is called wild with an e mm -hmm. i love snacks and i can't stop when i start like i don't have that thing where people can control themselves when they start eating something <laughs> i just wasn't born with that like the wiring has been off since i was mm -hmm. born um and those i can eat like a whole bag and not feel like human garbage by the end of it and i still feel great i blame pringles for that <laughs> oh i love pringles what's your favorite pringles flavor uh sour cream and onion i have to agree love yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly i love a good plain too every once in a while but sour cream and onion all the way also ruffle sour cream and onion so good oh yeah in general you can't go wrong also it sounds like you were describing that kind of chip where it's like they're secretly now like a, a healthy meal for you like there's this industry of like chips you can eat that are like all the it's like it's like Wonka shit. Like there's just a full meal in the chip or something. Right. I'm about to try the new like I I've seen these deranged Instagram commercials that are Scarlett Johansson um, selling this like new version of a pizza roll. It's the, the whole what? commercial. She's like she's like pizza rolls. We love eating them, but they're always unhealthy and greasy for you. And it's like this bag of like um some healthier plant based pizza roll. And of course they're thirty five dollars a bag. But I will, I will be um, getting them. Okay, wait, can I tell you about another pizza roll brand situation that's really mm -hmm. good that I discovered while I was in Austin, even though I don't think they're based there? Weird name, they're called Snow Days, and they're little pizza bites. They're like little mini pizza pockets with a really good, tangy, sweet marinara sauce and loads of parm. And apparently they're paleo. I don't follow like diets obsessively, but I just always think it's interesting. And they're like really good pizza bites that are supposedly healthier. I haven't looked at the nutritional information, but snow days, you can only order them from Instagram um, or their website, but they're, they're legit really good. And they're like really crunchy and they're perfect. Have you run into a okay. Dots pretzels yet? No. This woman Dot who lives in North Dakota has changed the game and morphed it and send it, send it to the fucking moon. It's not normal what she has done. Find, find a honey mustard Dots pretzels. Your snacking will be changed and you i mean I, i'm just it's like i'm telling you fall into a vortex and never come out of it it's what i'm saying so get ready i love honey mustard with anything salty so good and i just google snow days are the pizza bites that scarlett johansson no! is now what? selling. yes the singularity She's doing the instagram Shit. ads for them so wow our minds so powerful <laughs> <laughs> i even amaze myself sometimes wow to get scarjo <laughs> on a pizza roll all right thank you anthony thanks for chatting with me all right when we're back it's keep it
All right, we're back for our favorite segment of the week, as usual. It's keep it. Just go ahead, Lewis. <laughs> go ahead and break my heart. Um, I thought you were going to say keep it to yourself, which would have been a clever reference to uh, Casey Musgraves's wittier songs of yore. But um, unfortunately, and it's not a hard keep it. I actually enjoy some of the album, but it is a keep it to the new Casey Musgraves album, which I was looking forward to for a long time. Obviously, it's her follow-up to Golden Hour, which won the Grammy for album of the year while i love the production of that album and many of the songs i like her two preceding albums a little bit more just in terms of how kind of funny they were uh observant about a certain kind of southern life but this album which is very much about her recent divorce it's a a sad kind of waterlogged breakup album what i don't like about it a few things one normally she just always has the pop hooks. I felt like this album was lacking in pop hooks. The songs blend together. I'm forgetting songs right after I hear them. But also, it's her quote-unquote divorce album. And to be honest, she already had the divorce album. Like on the song Merry-Go-Round from like years ago, that's a good song about divorce. And witty, and she's commanding as a performer, not because she's belting, but because she's assured. And I feel like this album is not assured enough for Casey Musgraves, somebody who... Always had enough personality to fill a room. And here she blends into the mix too much. I love the song Breadwinner, which has a little bit of a... Breadwinner is a bop. Yeah. And by the way, it's a bop. So it's like, it's, it's a pop song. You can move to it a little bit. And it's funny and a bit emasculating to the man in the equation, which mm-hmm. we love. I, I miss that in, in music too. You know, that reminds me of a, like Miranda Lambert or something. Mm-hmm. But otherwise... I mean, what are the good songs on this IRA? They just aren't that good. Okay, I do like Cherry Blossom, and Good Wife is funny. Good Wife I enjoy. Which apparently was written before the divorce even happened. I, I think that's a good point, because I think she's too busy trying to articulate the pain of this situation, as opposed to standing... I think she should have written about divorce as if it happened to somebody else. Mm-hmm. She feels too in it to me, and not and and, th- and that makes her lyrics more literal and less of the fun, metaphorical, and witty style we had before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, so I do really enjoy the album, but I, I will agree that it's sort of less than Golden Hour for me. Definitely. It, it's sort of, you could tell that it's a concept album, and it sort of like gives you firmly three acts of this is what the um, album is going to be. This is what I'm talking about, you know? But unfortunately, like, the last half of it then, where it's supposed to be the uplifting, I've come out of the divorce, I'm like, you know, like, there's a light moment. I love that song, there's a light, but the last half sort of feels like, okay, now this is too pat, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, you've already figured out all your emotions, and I'm like, I don't know, when I have a split with someone, it's like, I'm still thinking about it and crying, like, months later, years later, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, the, the thing of, like, figuring it out, I don't feel like there's enough distance yeah, agreed. Um, though I will say I appreciate the last song on the album is a sort of strange version of Gracias a la Vida, which is a song that came to prominence uh, because of Joan Baez, mm-hmm. uh, not written by Joan Baez, but really appreciate that. Always shining a light on a, a very rad artist who recently was given the Kennedy Center honors. That's what you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, Camera Roll's also a good song. Oh, I love the lyrics in that and the idea of, yes, you know, like scrolling through your camera roll uh, because you're continuing to think about somebody. I love the subject of that song and some of the lyrics, but to me still, she didn't get to the point where 
she made a brilliant point. She didn't get to, it was just, it sucks to go through your camera roll after you broke up with somebody. I was waiting for like yeah. some other turn in the song, you know? Yeah, and the end for me, uh, I, I was thinking about that too. I was driving around LA listening to this at night um, while I was, after I was coming back from the grocery store. To impress Anthony, yes. <laughs> to impress Anthony, yes. Um, and the last line of it, it's just sort of like you come up on this happy picture of us, you know, before the sun went away. I think she says, and I made him take it. You know, it's sort of, was that the point of it? Yeah, I don't know what she thought that was providing the song at the end or a, yeah. an interesting ironic twist or something. The album feels a bit like an essay, um, and as an essay writer, I know what happens when you have decided that this is the topic and you got to finish it, you know? We're on paragraph five. Yes. yes. Uh, it, it's just giving very, I'm, I said I was going to do a divorce album and here's the divorce album and here's the concept, you know? Mm. Uh, and what Casey should learn is that um, most of the pop stars we love will promise an album and then not give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> You're smarter than us. How yeah. many people have said, I'm going to give you a disco album, and then it never comes out? Oh, right. Pop stars love promising a disco album that is never released. They just want some retweets. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, right. Carly Rae Jepsen. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> for her to make a disco album and then shelve it eternally, that happened, right? I yeah. mean, cruel. I mean, I mean, a cruel gesture by a Canadian. She's She's also sort of like, a Batman villain too, because she loves taunting the gays with, um, I've got 900 unreleased songs just sitting on my computer at home. It's like, bitch, someone will steal it at some point. <laughs> right. And then what are you going to do? She'll release dedicated side C and D again instead of some new shit. Anyway, go ahead. What's your keep it this week, Ira? My keep it this week is to the new CBS reality show, The Activist. Oh, my God. Oh, what my God. The fuck show. is going on? What the fuck is going on? Of course, it is a Priyanka Chopra joint. Okay. Who I like to think of as the unfunny Jamila Jamil. I was just going to say, this sounds like a show that airs on a network called Jamila Vision. <laughs> but I say unfunny because whatever we would say about Jamila, I feel like she would not be involved in this show. She at least knows that, like, I'm not going to make activism a fun challenge for other people to participate in. It's a fun challenge for her. She's also been read to filth by the internet enough times where she probably has that awareness now. But can you read the official description of this show? Because I do find it galling. Yes. The Activist is a competition series that features six inspiring activists teamed with three high-profile public figures working together to bring meaningful change to one of three vitally important world causes, health, education, and environment. Activists go head-to-head -head in challenges to promote their causes with their success measured via online engagement, social metrics, and host input. They have one ultimate goal, to create impactful movements that amplify their message, drive action, and advance them to the G20 Summit in Rome, Italy, where they'll meet with world leaders in the hope of securing funding and awareness for their causes. So Julianne Huff sits on a panel and tells you whether you were activist -y enough to survive this Miss Blackface? Yeah. <laughs> the queen of Halloween, Julianne, <laughs> Julianne Huff. Usher? Yeah, Usher. I mean, it's just like... Is he going to save the world with Usher bucks? <laughs> the fake money he was handing out to strippers? That was such an amazing story. <laughs> By the way, side note... Strippers are saying online that like a lot of um, strip clubs are having like um, 
Usher Bucks mixed in with real dollar bills now lately. So like they're like, girls, make sure you actually look at the stacks. Oh, that's so hair raising. Uh, <laughs> OMG, if you will. Uh, that's my Usher <laughs> reference. The idea that social activism should be measured in terms of impressions on social media. Retweets, engagement. Like that's how a change occurs is so insulting. After 30 seconds, five seconds of thinking about it, you would think that is absolutely ridiculous. But here it is, a logline on a real show that will air. Shocking. And it also makes so much fucking sense because when you think about what companies and brands do in terms of like activism and promoting something, right? They only do it because they're also going to get engagement. Yeah. You know, that's the only reason they give a fuck about us during Pride Month every year or, you know, during Black History Month. It is, oh, this content that we're doing and involving these celebrities or these models or whatever is also going to get us engagement and people paying for the shit that we also make. You're right. You know? Mm-hmm. And so can't wait to see the brands that have partnered with the activist <laughs> to promote themselves while also quote-unquote promoting activism and the idea that what at the end of a week like someone's gonna go home because they're like you know what we don't give a fuck about your cause yeah well you didn't solve mass incarceration so it's over yeah um no do you know what i i hate to say it a show that does this thing better than what i'm reading in this log line was the Celebrity Apprentice. Because celebrities would have causes they represented, make money for it, but the point wasn't really, you're the best activist. It's, you're running this event really well or something, you know? I would say that in terms of, like, a show like The Boys, um, which, you know, parodies superheroes, um, but does it through the lens of, like, if superheroes were run by, like, CAA or WME, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is evil because that's my agency. Um, (laughs) Shell. Okay. (laughs) I feel like this would be a really good, like, dark cable drama, streaming drama. Yeah, oh, the, sure. This, sh- this show, like, people competing in this, and it's, like, done as a reality show, but it's actually scripted, would be incredibly hilarious um, and a really good satire in the right hands. Um, but the fact that it's actually happening is, of course, it's fucking happening. Dystopian, right. Priyanka Chopra. Really disappointing. When are you thinking about her in terms of activism? Yeah, right. No, it's you're talking about like the show Unreal. You you would want this to be the new yeah. version of Unreal. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I'm sure she does have charitable things that she donates to, you know? Um, but the collection of her, Usher, and Julianne Hoff is just sort of like, of mad libs of people hosting a competition show. Like, they could be hosting a music show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A music and dance show, and I'd be like, okay. Whatever happened to that Alanis Morissette show where it's about people performing as holograms and they get voted in or out? It's like American Idol with holograms. Guys, you have to look this up. I don't want to see that. It's like I didn't (laughs) want to see Scott Foley hosting a furniture competition show with Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, when did that? Oh, that's right. I forgot. That was that on that HBO happened. Max, the next yes. great designer or whatever. It's like, who, who is the executive that's like, oh, this person has a vague interest in this. Like, let them be the judge. The thing is, anytime you interact with Ellen DeGeneres, you could be in one of Ellen's game of games. So you have to watch out. Uh, or will you be ejected from a seat somehow? You never know. Portia de Rossi is the longest running contestant in <laughs> Ellen's game of games. Oh. <laughs> Oh, she'll lose. Oh, she'll lose. <laughs> but there's a game within a game. Maybe Anne Hayes is going to be back in the oh, mix. <laughs> fuck yes. One of my favorite celebrities. Yeah. 
Um, before we go, speaking of game within a game, I do want to shout out to that being an unending nightmare on Drag Race this past season. But the actual game within a game episode was one of the best episodes of Drag Race I've ever seen. Oh, and you're talking about when Silky Nutmeg Ganache, who had been eliminated very early in the season, was given opportunity after opportunity to lip sync her way back into the competition. She kept beating the next eliminated queen. Yeah. And she got six rounds in and almost did. But man, she really found inventive ways to have fun with these pop songs. Better than winning because it's a show. The entire episode is your showcase. She is the star of Drag Race right now. And it, it felt like such a left turn, but she really lived up to it. And now with one well-placed Drag Race episode, I believe you can like double your following. When Laganja Estranja appeared as a lip sync assassin early in the season, I suddenly became a huge fan of hers. I wasn't before. So yeah, I do love Laganja Estranja, except when she and Ray are feuding on Twitter. Ray Sani? <laughs> yes. About what? Laganja Estranja is one of the kind of celebrities who um searches her name mm. and not when you at them like act like you know the celebrities who like will search their actual name and then they find a tweet that you wrote about them and then respond to it but you didn't at them and you weren't like trying to engage or start a fight with them yeah you know ray was just talking about like laganja from an earlier season and laganja responded like Oh, I'm sorry, babe, but quote tweeting it, and then she's fighting with Laganja and her fans. Mm, 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 mm. Lisa Renna loves to do that too. Also feuded with Ray on <laughs> That's um, the mark. Twitter. <laughs> Being too much on the internet. Have you tangled with Ray? <laughs> if you haven't feuded with Ray on Twitter, are you really doing Twitter correctly? Right. Yeah. So just Laganja and Real Housewives. And um Lastly, I just want to thank you for allowing me to secretly turn this into a Bravo podcast. Oh, me, Lewis? Oh. Uh, yes. When, when I mean, Anthony I'll take it to court. Here and we're yeah. like talking about Real Housewives. <laughs> no, no you, you may have your uh, Bravo melodrama. I'll let you have it. I, I always feel a little bit like I'm missing out on something, but at the same time, you know, I've got my old game shows to watch, so. Yeah, you know, you could talk about Password anytime you want. Oh, gosh. You guys got to watch the old Carol Burnett episode. She slays. All right. Well, we'll talk about that in a future episode, too. Carol Burnett on Password and Elliot Gould. The, oh. uh, we'll talk about it during sweeps. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our guest this week, Anthony. And do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Go do it now because you love us. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston. And our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is me, Ira Madison III. Our editor is Bill Lance. And Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. And hey, stay safe out there. Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com.